You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Good morning. Fifteen years ago, I was at a little community college, and the world seemed to stop turning. I remember it was September 11th, and I was 22 years old, and the cafeteria had kind of filled up with about 300 and 400 college students. And they gathered around the television, and it became an eerily quiet space with a lot of people. On that day, kind of our world felt like it stopped turning, didn't it? And I remember sitting there, and I had already felt the passion and the calling as a young youth pastor at the time to be a spokesman for God. And I remember when I was in the lunchroom, I texted my brother and I said, David, come here, come, come look at what's going on. We were going to Pulaski Tech Community College. We were at University of Arkansas, but the business program was tough, and I couldn't cut it in the accounting, so I went to the community college. I was sitting there in the lunchroom, though, and David said, man, do you feel that? You feel how everybody is just sitting here, just quiet? And right there in that moment, the Holy Spirit came upon me and impressed upon my heart and said, share a word with them. Tell them that, that you're available for prayer. Tell them, speak to them, give them a word of hope in the midst of this tragic situation. And I sat back. My brother's there with me. And he said, what do you want to do? And I said, I don't know. And I sat down and I ended up walking away. In these moments when the world stops turning, God looks upon his church, believers, to bring an incredible level of clarity and confidence that yet in the midst of tragedy, there's still a, a triumph of Christ. And He's sovereign over all creation. And that He ministers right in the moment of hurt. On September 9-11, in just a couple of weeks at North Valley, we're going to celebrate the triumphancy of Christ in the midst of tragedy. We're going to show you an exact replica of the 9-11 cross. I went there myself, ground zero, just a few months after the incident occurred. And I made a pledge and a promise to God that I would always speak from here on forward in the midst of tragedy about the triumphancy and the power and the supremacy of Christ above all hurt, above all pain, above all tragedy. And so this September 9-11, we're doing a message called When the World Stops Turning. You probably got one of these hand, these invitations. I want to encourage you, as you look forward to inviting somebody to church, if you haven't done it in the last five weeks, six weeks, or six months, this is your time to do it. We're going to be preaching about the cross. We're going to have firefighters here. We're going to have the exact replica cross right out there at Elevate, Red Development, North Shops and North Terra have all approved it. It's a 17-foot cross, 7,000 pounds, 100-foot crane is going to set that baby in on September 11th. Amen? So let's do this. This morning, as we look at God's Word, I want to encourage you that we're going to... I'm going to talk about the importance of having a bold faith. And this year, I've asked you to memorize a verse. If you would, let's stand, and we're going to recite it together. And you've got it there on your program, and I want you to memorize it and pray this prayer over your life. Pray this prayer over your marriage. Pray this prayer over our church. 
And let's, let's say it aloud. Let's read it together. Ephesians 3, 20 through 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that prayer over our lives in all far more than we could ask or think or imagine that you can accomplish by the power of Christ working in and through us. We thank you for your church. We thank you for the believers here today. We thank you for the influence, those people you're drawing unto yourself, those whom you've saved, those whom you will save. And we thank you for the spirit of God that rests upon us in this hour. And in these days and in our life, permanently indwelling, empowering us, asking us to live a bold faith. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. We're in a teaching series called North Valley, walking through the book of Acts. We'll we'll finish up chapter 4 today and then next Sunday. Um, As you recall, one of the the believers, Peter, uh, who Jesus said, I'll build my church upon, uh, was the early believer with John. Uh, Peter and John kickstart the early church. The Spirit of God pours out upon them just like Jesus had promised. After his death, burial, resurrection, Jesus said, Go to Jerusalem. My Spirit will pour out on you, empower you to establish the first church. And that's exactly what's happened. Peter and John have been preaching Jesus. They've been declaring who Jesus is. And they've been demonstrating his power and authority, specifically with the healing that we saw uh, in the last few weeks. They healed a man and everybody can testify this guy that was lame from birth is now 40 years old. He's walking and everybody knows it. Nobody can argue that that these guys named Peter and John did a miracle and they faced persecution. There was threats, let's just say, threats. There was significant threats. These guys didn't... uh, disregard the threats, but they just kept moving. They knew it was serious. We're going to find out in the next uh, few, uh, in the next ch- the chapters, if you were to read further, James, the brother of John, is going to be beheaded for continually speaking about Jesus. So these threats are real, but these believers have incredible faith. And this morning, I want to talk to you about the importance of being a bold believer. Bold believers are spirit-made Bravado believers, that's something different. They are self-made. Bold believers are spirit-made. Bravado believers are self-made. Bold believers are admired for their bravery and their character. Bravado believers are admired for their beauty and their talent. Bold believers blossom in the midst of suffering and we respect them for it. Bravado believers blame others in the midst of suffering and we lose respect for them. Bold believers remind us of how great God is and they inspire us. Bravado believers remind us how great they are and they inspire themselves. Bold believers find it easy to admit their mistakes and their failures. Bravado believers find it difficult to admit their mistakes and failures. Bold believers have nothing to lose and no one to impress. Bravado believers have everything to lose and everyone to impress. Bold believers deflect people's praise. Bravado believers can't get enough of people's praise. Bold believers edify others. Bravado believers entertain others. Bold believers empower others. 
Let me ask you a question. Are you willing to be a bold believer or have you settled for bravado? God's word challenges us to be bold in our faith, to speak up when no one else will, to stand up and say something when you know it needs to be said. This could be to family. This could be to friends. This could be to neighbors, coworkers. God is not content with you being quiet. He wants you to speak up because you're the vessel of hope. You're the only message of salvation is through you. As we look at the life of these early believers, I want to highlight to you a number of different observations about their bold faith. The first thing that we're going to see this morning is that they, as soon as they were released from prison, from being held overnight, they immediately went back and they shared their hardship with their friends. Let's look at the text. It says in verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and they reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. So immediately upon their release, the first thing that they do is they go to other believers and they talk to them. They say, hey, guess what? You know that we just got locked up for sharing about the love of Jesus, for demonstrating the love of Jesus. That guy that's 40 years old who just got healed by the power of Christ won't be quiet. And they said this, and we believe Rome is serious. We believe that the Jews are really mad that we're proclaiming Jesus Christ as the Messiah. But immediately, look what they did. If we're going to have a bold faith, we need to do the same thing. We need to go to our friends and stick with our friends. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Is When hard times hit, who do you lean on? Who do you lean on for help? Do you turn to people of faith or do you turn to people that are faithless? If you're going to be bold in your faith, you've always got to lean on other believers that will make you strong. You've always got to go back to your friends. It's not a bad thing to have friends that aren't Christians, but it's a terrible thing to have friends that are not Christians and you're going to them for the deepest sources of counsel and comfort. These early disciples understood that there was a power and a presence that happened in the midst of community and they leaned on each other in hardship. Let me ask you another question. Who leans on you? Do you have family or friends that are leaning upon you because of your faith? Let me encourage you. The more people that lean on you, the more strength you're going to need. You're going to need a continual infusement of power by the Holy Spirit to be strong. God may be raising you up as the patriarch or the matriarch of your family. And God wants to use you. And some of you have a bad family past. You have a bad family tree, but God wants to create a new branch in you and wants to create a whole new lineage and legacy through you. My job is to help you understand that the future is radically important. And what we do here and what we do now determines what happens even in eternity. And I want to help you, navigate you. But if you're going to keep moving forward in your faith, you've got to say, I want a bold faith. I want to be a bold believer. I don't want to be a bravado believer. Second thing, well, here's, and here's an encouragement to you. Some of you have got Christian friends, but they're far off. I want to encourage you, the shortest distance between friendship is prayer. When you pray for one another, encourage one another. The shortest distance is prayer. And we're going to see these disciples, these early believers doing that. 
The second thing I want to point out is that these guys took shelter under God's sovereign plan. They understood God's sovereignty in three areas, creation, nations, and events. Look what it says in verse 24. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices. They went back to their friends and they start praying together. And what they did is they esteemed the sovereignty of God because they knew in the midst of tragedy, there still is Christ who's triumphant. In the midst of suffering, there's still a God who's sovereign and all control. And they recite that. They rework that. That's the power of good Christian friendship. They remind you of what's most important. They help shape your thinking and your theology. And that's exactly what they do. And it says, and when they heard it, they lifted their voices, that's in prayer, together to God. They're praying together. The friends that pray together stay together. They're praying together and said, sovereign Lord. Sovereign means God's rule and reign. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's God's perfect rule and reign over all things. He says, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. That's creation. They're understanding that God's sovereign over all creation. Secondly, we're going to see that they understood God's sovereign over all events. Look what it says. Who through the mouth of, the, of, of our father David. David was the king of Israel. He says, your servant said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? They're referring to Old Testament scripture and they see just like Jesus was persecuted, the high king of heaven, Jesus was persecuted. The king of Israel of days of old was persecuted just like Jesus was. And it says, the kings of earth have set themselves and the rulers were gathered. Verse 26, the kings of earth had set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. God's sovereign over all nations. Lastly, we see, let's continue on in verse 27. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. So they make the connection. God's been sovereign over all nations and kings and just like he is today. Look what, he, look what it says, verse 28. To, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. That word predestined means uh, planned out. Ephesians says before the foundations of the earth that God had thought about you. That he had thought and planned out our life and our purposes. And we're walking in divine happenings all the time. God is sovereign over creation. God is sovereign over nations. God is sovereign over events, even the death of Christ. Even the death of Christ. What did they do? They took shelter under the sovereign plan of God. They reconciled their struggles with sovereignty. They would have understood this truth that the Apostle Paul will later expound. Romans 8.28, this is a verse that you and I have quoted or looked to, or if you've been a part of church very long, you've heard this, and it says this in Romans 8.28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. Two things you need to understand about that passage. Number one is that believers are under God's sovereign shelter. That promise is for Christians. 
It's that promise that the early believers understood. This will embolden my faith if I understand this. That all the events that take place, no matter what nations rise or fall, no matter what happens in the earth, God's sovereign over creation. God's sovereign over all nations. God's sovereign over all events. And he works things to my good. That's a promise for believers. Non-believers are outside of God's sovereign shelter. It would be like the idea of an umbrella. If you were to open up an umbrella and you're underneath that umbrella, you are under God's sovereign shelter over your life. And as a believer, you have this divine shelter following you everywhere you go. That no matter what happens, storms rage, nations war, events happen. You've got this divine sovereignty chasing your whole life. And you can't get outside of it. And he loves you. And he says, I'll use everything, even the bad things for good. And you won't understand it, but I'll use it for good. See, the Bible says that God's ways are not like our ways. And so when tragedy hits and you're reeling in fear and frustration, God calls you to be bold and tenacious and fearless. And so how do you do that? You've got to take shelter in a sovereign God over all things. Amen? Non-believers don't have that promise. When bad things happen, they happen as a consequence of living in disobedience with God. You don't have hope to share with non-believers outside of this. Your hope, friend, is in Jesus Christ. He makes all things new. And everything that you go through in life, all the hardship, he's saying to you, I want to help you in the midst of it. And we cannot say in easy believism that you trust Jesus and your life's going to be perfect. No, but your life will be marked by incredible power and strength in the midst of challenges and hope for the future. And so these guys took shelter in the sovereignty of God. What's frustrating to me is 88% of Americans own a Bible, but 60% of them said, man, I wish I would read that. 100% of people in America have internet access. 100 million have downloaded the Bible on version. And 80% of the people in America believe God's word is sacred. But yet 60% of them say, you know, that'd be a good idea if I read that, but I just don't read that. So no wonder we are in fear and we don't live a bold faith because we don't understand God's scripture. These guys understood the sovereignty of God. They saw it in the Old Testament and they're seeing it presently lived out in their life. You need to take shelter under the sovereign plan of God over every situation in your life if you want to live a bold faith. Thirdly, we're going to see that these guys, they prayed to speak God's word with boldness. They prayed to speak God's word with boldness. Prayer, Eugene Peterson said this, he said, prayer is not just talking to God, it's answering him. He's already spoken through his word. It's the response of what he's already said. Prayer is something that, like, you you literally, you got to realize when I'm preaching scripture, it's like the phone is ringing. 
And all you have to do is pick it up and hear God's word applied and respond to that. It's a life of prayer, living out the prayer. God, I will follow you. When I was sitting in that lunchroom, I should have answered God's call. Ryan, speak to these people. There was 500 college students right there. And you know, I look back and I think in those moments, God, give me the boldness to be strong. Give me the boldness to say what you want to say. Use me. God wants to do that in your family dynamics. He wants to do it in your workplaces. These guys prayed to speak with boldness. A lot of times our prayers kind of center around, oh, well, you know, I'm sick and I need you to pray for me. And that's not a bad thing. And James says, pray for the sick. But let's not let this be absent from our prayer list and our prayer and our words. It's praying for boldness. Praying for God to use us. You know, every single Wednesday at North Valley, I want to challenge you to pray. Take the whole day and fast. Some of you fast from TV, fast from food, fast from whatever, and pray for the witness of our church. Let's call it Witness Wednesday. And if you notice, if there's a bookmark on how to study the Bible, we hand it out and we have a daily uh, prayer guide for you to pray with our church. Pray for our witness. Look what these early disciples did. And now the Lord, he said, it says this, and now Lord, look upon their threats. See, they had been threatened already. James is, uh, James is afraid of the future. There's been rumors of these disciples, the 12 disciples, the apostles, that they were going to be persecuted. And just weeks later, his older brother John's going to be beheaded. These threats were not shallow threats, and they knew that. It says, look upon their threats, God, and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. How many times do we pray like that? God, give me the strength. Give me faith. Give me a boldness to speak out. God wants you to pray for boldness. It's exactly what they did. And then they recite what God's been doing. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Look, they prayed to speak. That's what they prayed for. Did they pray for healing before? Yes, they prayed for healing. They prayed for God's gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to be demonstrated through the healing of that lame man. But they're also praying for the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to be declared. It says they prayed to speak God's word with boldness is what we learned. Here's something you need to realize. Christian service is a good thing in American culture. Christian service was a good thing in Rome for Peter and John. In fact, the healing of the lame guy kind of got everybody's attention. Man, this, did you hear about that? That guy's 40 years old. He's healed. Well, that's a good thing. Let these guys go. But don't speak about Jesus. Speaking about Christianity is a bad thing in culture, both in Rome and in America. I want to just highlight to you some of the the eerie kind of similarities between Rome and America. The church grew in the midst of a culture that sounds a lot like Rome. In the midst of Roman Empire, tell me if this doesn't sound familiar, the Roman Empire was the biggest, most prominent, powerful, prosperous nation in the history of the world. The citizens lived 
relatively lavish lifestyles. They had multiple religions, multiple spiritualities, multiple gods, multiple goddesses. Their values included tolerance, diversity. They had widespread sexual sin. Homosexuality was very popular. Bisexuality was very popular. Cohabitation before marriage was very frequent. Adultery within marriage was very common. They had child sacrifices where if they didn't like the baby, they would just kill it. There's not a lot of difference between Rome and America. So we approach the scripture and we ask the question, God, there's a lot in common here. The truths are timeless. We need to pray to speak God's word and be bold. They prayed to speak God's word. And it's the same thing that we need to do. We need to realize that we're going to have to do this. But we can't do it in our own power. Look what number four we're going to see. They refueled their faith before going any further. They refueled their faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it says, and when they prayed in the place which they were gathered together, it was shaken. It was like an earthquake. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Two things I want to point out to you. Number one is this earthquake. Just recently, this last week, if you were watching the news, you saw Italy had a 6.2 earthquake. An incredible tragedy. And it was the same kind of magnitude has been recorded by scholars in the first century when this earthquake took place right here at Pentecost, at the pouring out of the Spirit. But that wasn't the first time an earthquake like that had hit around events with Jesus. See, an earthquake had hit in Matthew 27 when Jesus died on the cross. There was this magnitude, this shockwave that broke the temple. And it echoed out through Jerusalem and Judea. And then again, there was another earthquake at the resurrection. And it broke forth this incredible stone that was holding the tomb. And lastly, there was this earthquake at the birth of the church. Why? God's sovereign over all creation. He runs it all. He rules it all. Jesus took an earthquake of it took an earthquake of sin's penalty to give us the earthquake of the Spirit's power. There was this earthquake of the penalty of sin on Jesus on the cross. And then there's this earthquake in the church to unleash the Spirit of God in power. And we're to be filled up, the Bible says, filled up with the Holy Spirit. This is so important for the life of a believer. When you pray to receive Christ, this beautiful thing happens. The Spirit of God just says, I'm going to dwell in you. I'm going to empower you. I'll take over, if you let me, your conscience and your convictions. And I'll help you understand Scripture. I'll bring to mind things that you don't even think about, but I'm doing ahead of time. Just like that lunchroom. But I missed it. He'll bring you into a place and he'll reveal things to you through the power of the Holy Spirit that you didn't know. It's the secret will of God being unleashed in your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's the counselor. And we're to be filled up with the Spirit on a regular basis. We're permanently sealed with the Holy Spirit. Constantly. It's never, the Spirit of God is never going to leave us. But there's a level of filling that we need to refresh and renew on a daily basis. And 
The Apostle Paul said that. He says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a present tense imperative word. Just says it's an ongoing process as a believer. So when you see believers that are literally like they're out of fuel, they're coasting on fumes, it's very likely that they've just not refueled by the power of the Holy Spirit. When you, you've got a car, then you drive that thing, but you know when the light's on E, what do you got to do? Go to the gas station, get filled back up. It's exactly the same way in the Christian life. For the journey ahead, these early apostles, these disciples, they realize they're going to get filled up with the Holy Spirit, fresh and anew. Let me clarify. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is not the same thing as baptism of the Holy Spirit. Baptism of the Holy Spirit happens upon conversion when you pray to receive Christ. The Bible says that you're like baptized, you're identified with the Spirit of God, and He permanently dwells within you. But when you ask Christ to fill you up as you're going out and you're doing things, especially for Him in ministry or missions, or even into work and even into your marriage, that God's special sense of presence and power starts to fill up your life. And it doesn't change your status as a Christian. Like if you get into a fight or an argument with your wife and you know it's getting really bad, and you go to the other room and you say, God, fill me up with your presence and your power. I want to speak to this issue. I need to navigate through this. When you go back to your wife and you talk to her, it doesn't change the reality just because you had this prayer that you're still husband and wife. It doesn't change your status. You're still husband and wife. And if the guy doesn't pray and say, God, you know, uh, forget it. I'm not going to pray. I'm just going to come back and deal with this issue. Then you're still husband and wife. Let me further illustrate this situation. Let me show you a picture of Maya. Uh, this is Maya. On Fridays, we go do play therapy. We adopted her. She's a precious little kid out of Phoenix. And when I pick her up and I take her to McDonald's on Friday afternoons and I hug her, she's my daughter, right? She's, but she's no more my daughter if I didn't hug her and encourage her and love her in that sense. She's my daughter legally, literally on paper. That's my daughter. But when I do this kind of thing right here, when I'm hugging her and I'm taking her out and I'm encouraging her, I'm spending time with her, does she feel, does she experience more of my love? She does. See, it's the same way when you spend time with God and when you pray, God, fill me up. There's this experience that happens in the Christian life where you feel and you experience the joy of your position in Christ, that you're a son, you're a daughter of Christ. And you need that security if you're going to navigate through struggle and hardship. And these early believers get that. They want to be filled up. On Friday, Maya wants to be filled up, not just with ice cream, but with daddy time. Just last night, Maya... Leslie called me. Um, I spent the weekend with my son. We had kind of a little uh, rite of passage uh, to manhood weekend. It was a really cool experience. I hope to share that with many of you guys in the future as we develop more and more and get more ministries established. But I got a phone call from Leslie. She said, I need to interrupt your weekend. I was sitting on the front porch the, this morning and uh, I did a devotional. And it just happened Maya asked tons of questions about Jesus. 
She's five years old. And she said, Ryan, I'm telling you, this little girl at five years old clearly understands who Jesus is. And she prayed to receive Christ with me at five years old. Unless it was faithful to just continually love her and lead her and me too, just teach and encourage. And so today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do something fun. Uh, uh, we're going to have a baptism, not only for Maya, but for some other folks that are here in the, in, in, in the church that just have placed their faith in Christ. And baptism is simply a profession of faith. If you profess Jesus Christ as Lord, that's the only requirement for baptism. And so after second service today, we're going to do that. We need to refuel our faith if we're going to go any further in our journey with God. Fifth thing we need to see is this, is that they kept sharing their faith with all boldness. The Bible says is in verse 31, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They continued. They wouldn't let up. That's the result of being filled up on the presence and the power of God. You're going to continue to move forward in the mission. And so here's what I want you to see is that on a big level picture, Satan's plan is to silence the witness. He does not want you to share about how God's working in your life. He does not want you to share about the good things that you see that are happening in the church. He does not want you to speak about anything that pertains to Jesus or his church. He does not want you to invite anybody to church. He does not want you to invite them over or spend time with them. He wants you to be silent. That's what he wants to do. And it's exactly what he was trying to do with Peter and John. And what did Peter and John do? They say, we got to spend time with our friends. We need to be reminded of the sovereignty of God. We need to move forward and we need to be refueled in our faith. We need to pray to ask God to fill us up so that we can be bold. See, God's plan is this, though. God's plan is to embolden the believer to share. It's to share. I want to tell you that's really important. Phoenix is the fastest growing metro area in the country right now. In the next two decades, we're going to see more than 2 million people come to this city. More than likely, it'll be about 90% of the valley. It's 87 right now. 87% of the valley does not have a church home. Right here within 10 to 15 minutes of this location where I'm standing, there's over 187,000 people that don't go to church. Let me remind you what I just said. Let's look back at with a big picture. Satan's plan is to silence the witness. Satan's plan is to silence the witness, and God's plan is to embolden the believer to share. Your job is to be a witness. Simply share what you've seen God do. You say to me, Ryan, I don't know if I can do that. I'm going to give you some practical steps on how to do that. Here they are. Invite the worship team up. And uh, we're going to close out our service today with a song called We Are. But let me give you some practical steps on how to share your faith in a relational way. That's our approach to evangelism, to help share and show the love of Christ. Here's a simple uh, acrostic. When you're out and about to share your faith, simply say hi, introduce yourself. It's funny, one of the guys that we're baptizing today, this afternoon, uh, his name is Will Landis, a good friend of mine and my neighbor. And I asked him, how'd you find out about the church? How'd you find out about Jesus? And he says, I was at a birthday party and somebody said hi. 
And they began to talk to me about me and my church and my, or my, my, my community. And then they told me about the church. And then you're going to hear Will's testimony in the coming weeks. And after second service today, we're going to baptize him. But it started with somebody simply willing to share. They said hi, introduced themselves. And then secondly, you can talk about home. Ask, are you ever from around here? Tell me about your home. Who's in your family? You can ask about activities. Hey, what do you like to do? Why does this matter? This matters because people are made in God's image. It matters because the world's not going to know Christ and they're separated from the love of God apart from Jesus Christ. And we're the vessels of hope. You also need to relate. Always try to relate to others. Relate with them. I always try to find common ground with my neighbors. I don't care if they're Mormon, Muslim, Jew. No faith, some faith, atheist, agnostic. I can genuinely form a friendship with anybody. Why? Because God says, every single person's made in my image. And I'm slow to return because I don't want anybody to perish. But I want the church to speak up and to share. And you say to me, I can't share my faith, but you can do this. You could just say hi. You can talk to them about what's going on in their home. You can ask them about the activities they're a part of. You can relate to them in some way or another. And then lastly, you extend an invitation to be a part of a church called North Valley. Specifically invite to September 11th. And you still say to me, Ryan, I'm, a, I'm afraid to do that. Well, let's stand together and I want to remind you of who you are in Christ and how God's made you. Would you stand with me? Let's say this together. Read aloud with me as I read. We're going to read through powerful truths of Scripture about your identity in Christ and how He made you significant. How He made you special as a special privilege and a responsibility to share. Why can we do this, church? Number one, we are made by God for His glory. We are accepted by God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We are secure in our faith because of God's great love for us on the cross. Say this with me. We are loved, forgiven, made new, and empowered by the Spirit. We are branches of Jesus Christ, the true vine and a channel of His life. We are chosen, called out, and appointed to bear fruit. We are God's temple for the Spirit of God to dwell within. We are ministers of reconciliation. We are seated with Jesus Christ in the heavenly realm. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are free to approach God with freedom and confidence. We are able to do all things through Christ who gives us strength. We are called to share and show the love of Christ. We are able to think and ask far more than we ever imagined because of the great power of Christ working in and through us, the church. We are a training center for believers. We are a hospital for the hurting. We are a light to the world. We are North Valley. Amen. God. 
You rule, you reign. Let's celebrate Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.